Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. And you can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Patrick Bringley is the author of All the Beauty in the World, the Metropolitan Museum of Art and Me. Patrick worked for 10 years as a guard in the galleries of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Prior to that, he worked in the editorial events office at the New Yorker magazine. He lives with his wife and children in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. All the Beauty in the World is his first book. Welcome, Patrick. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss All the Beauty in the World, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. This was so interesting as a lifelong New Yorker to read about what it's like being a guard at the Met and all of the backstory of, of the ins and outs of the museum. So that was totally fascinating. But honestly, the parts that I was most interested in were about 
the loss of your brother and how you sort of coped with that and how being a guard and your whole trajectory through that whole position was in effect a way for you to re-engage with the world, which I found really beautiful on so many levels. Thank you. Thank you very much. So how did this become a book? Tell me about the whole experience. Tell listeners how you ended up doing this job. Sure. So yeah, right out of college, I I got what seemed to be an unbelievable job um, at the New Yorker magazine in in their events office. And of course, you know, I was just 21 years old. So I sort of felt like I was at the top of the world, never mind that, you know, I hadn't written anything and wasn't really capable of writing anything because I hadn't lived any life and thought really any ideas. But when I was there a few years, my brother got ill and he got very ill with what's called a soft tissue sarcoma. And it all of a sudden was the case that I was spending less time, you know, at least mentally thinking about the office job and thinking about the sort of glamour of it and more time with him, you know, at his apartment in Queens and at at um, little hospital rooms and spending all the time inside those hospital rooms where something kind of very momentous and sort of stripped down to the basics of life is happening. It's it's very painful, but it's also very, very beautiful. And when Tom died, I did not relish the idea of just rushing back to some office job and just kind of putting my nose in some grindstone and worrying about whatever trivial things that you tend to worry about. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could keep my head up and I could just be doing something watchful and straightforward and simple and honest in this beautiful place. Wow. I'm so sorry about the loss of your brother. You You wrote about him so beautifully and how you were, what, 17 months apart, less than that? 12? Uh, Yeah, just just under two years. Just under two years apart and um, that you would always be his little brother. And even in the part where you became older than him, than he would ever be, was like so stirring. Yeah, it's funny how that works, right? You know, he he died when he was 26 years old, but I find that impossible to believe because now I'm nearly 40. But still in my memories of him, he's oddly older than I am, you know? Yeah. Um, And that partially has to do with, I think, just, you know, a trick of memory, but it also has to do with who he was, which that he was a person who was very sort of frank and honest and gentle and... Uh, straightforward and wise beyond his years, not sort of a hustler, not kind of out to be cynical about things. He he kind of had his mind directed on the meat of the matter. <laughs> um, and that that really paid off when he was ill in that he was able to handle it with incredible grace, which also was sort of an impetus to want to go into the museum and kind of explore explore the grace of suffering uh, that you see in so many of those old master paintings. Oh my gosh, amazing. I even loved all your relationships with the other guards and the people in the break rooms and all of that. You had this one section about Tom, which, can I read it? Is that okay? Sure. You said, then night would fall. This is when you're, you know, in the hospital and all that. He said, the night would fall. And when Tom was very sick, someone would stay with him, usually Krista. We'd watch television on mute while he slept. And the stillness in the room couldn't be believed as nothing about any of it could be believed. There's Tom. There's funny old Tom. There's his body that was once big, bounding like old Tom and is now gentle, graceful, like this Tom. How beautiful. Later, I'll roll him on his side, dig my fists into his muscles, rub circles on his aching back, and he'll moan and say thank you quietly, and the stillness will return, 
and I'll watch him breathe. It was a moment like this one, actually the early dawn, when I sat with my mother at the bedside and watched her take everything in as though for the last time. She looked at her sleeping son, looked at me, saw the light and the body and the horror and the grace. Look at us, she told me. Look, we're a fucking old master painting. <laughs> yes. Aww. I mean, uh, <laughs> many moments like that are are sort of, you know, vividly present with me. They're easy to sort of remember. And, you know, what I'm referring to there is, I think, especially in the older old master paintings, you know, in the 14th century or something, they're so often painting these scenes of the passion, which is just an old word that means suffering. And clearly, they're just thinking about life and death, and they're thinking about loss, and they're thinking about the fact that when you sit at a bedside like that in that scene, clearly something horrible and regrettable and lamentable is happening and at the same time your heart is breaking but it's also sort of brimming over because you feel adoration which is another type of painting that you see all the time you feel adoration at the same time as you feel lamentation because of this person you love because of i don't know the poignancy of the human drama in general you know sort of exists in that space and it, it can be overwhelming and I think that sort of speechless, spellbound response that we have to such moments is often what is captured in those great paintings. Oh, that's a beautiful way to say that. Oh my goodness. You also, hold on, there was another section that I underlined like crazy. So many sections that were just so beautiful. Oh, this was great. When you when you ended up having kids later in the book, I loved your section on being a dad and parenting in general and how humbling it is. I have four kids myself. <laughs> you said, two years after Oliver, Louise arrives, a blonde-haired thing like me, whom we call Wheezy, Wheeze girl, little miss, Weezer, and then the Wheeze. She is easygoing compared to her brother who has become a toddler, Captain Ahab. Fierce, obsessive, and indomitable. Louise is sunny, funny, and oblivious. It turns out that a child's temperament is a dice roll. And much of what we had taken to be human nature was, in fact, all of our nature. So true. You like, do not true, realize right? this until you have any a second kid or more or whatever. But um, yes, yes. yes. Um, you said, "I bat a thousand in my new life. I see. I will struggle like hell in a process called growth, which, of course, referred to the job. But of course, it's also referring to fatherhood and parenthood and all of that." Oh yeah, yes. I, one thing I. I mean, it was quite an education having kids because I had had this job. I mentioned batting a thousand. It's just the sense you go to that job and everything is clean. Everything you're in, but pristine gallery, some things go wrong, but you can handle it. Nothing's getting stolen under your watch. You know, everything is, is orderly in a sense, and you can be sort of passive and watchful, which is a beautiful way to be. But there's another whole way to exist in the world. And that is to build stuff. And building a human life is one of those things and building your own household and trying. And all of that is so much work. And it's work with the same sort of trivial details that I escaped from. And I sort of came to realize that there's value in that. But there's also value in packing and unpacking those diaper bags. And because that, fortunately or not, that is life. And that is what we need to do to live meaningful lives. We lives. We also have to engage with that sort of level of grimy detail. And it made me even have a sort of different feeling toward the art and the Met when I when I was sort of knee-deep in parenting. Because, you know, you look at a painting or a statue and you're looking at its 
surface that is perfect and is still and calm and clean in that same way. But of course, the artist who made that thing was likely chewing up their paintbrush with aggravation while they made it. And they went through 10 other copies of it and they had a whole struggling years and years when they couldn't pay paint worth a damn. And all of a sudden, and you know, that process, that sort of tumult behind the art also began to interest me more. Yes. It's an illustration of the complete lack of control that uh, <laughs> is endemic to, to both children and of course, loss and all of it. It's so sort of intricately linked from all of your time in the halls of the museum and spending all the time observing people and art and all of that. What are some of the things that now that you're not doing that, you, you've sort of taken away, and I know a lot of them are in the book, but some of the things that you just, you feel like you've learned the most from or that were the most memorable to you? Or... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, sure. I mean... I feel like I I took away from the guards a sort of fuller appreciation both of New York City and kind of humanity. I mean, it's very lucky to have a job where all diverse kinds of not only backgrounds, but also just minds and sort of ways of being are in the job. Because tech, usually you have a job, you're an accountant or something, and everyone has a similar kind of education and they have, you know, that's why they wound up accountants. But if you're a museum guard, you just get to know New York, basically. I mean, 40% of New York City's foreign born, probably the same of the guards or maybe a little bit more. And you just are wearing the same clothes as these men and women. So you are talking with them because they're on the next post. And you just, the, my sort of sense of what humanity is really expanded. And now, you know, out on the street, I feel, I don't know, I feel the same way. I sort of learned a cadence of dealing with the people around me that's beautiful, I hope. But then also, you know, from the art itself, I mean, you know, what the Met is, is it's so expansive. It's so 
you know, it reminds you that whatever is going on in your head right now, whatever narrow little thought or whatever is going on on Twitter and, you know, the common conversation that seems to be going on about whatever topic is so hopelessly small compared to the world that we live in, all of its color, all of its life, all of its fullness, its great age. It's all these different ways of conceiving what this mysterious existence that we are living in is. And it's a struggle to keep that, to keep, to remember that. It's a struggle to sort of take our narrow thoughts and pry them outward. And I continually have to return to museums or return to artworks or returns to books like anyone would to sort of reinflate your head in a way, you know, to get yourself thinking on more than one level. But I hope that that some of that lesson bleeds into my life, even when I'm not out in the gallery. Oh, I love that. And tell me what it was like writing this book. Oh, it's hard writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard writing a book. Oh my lord! No, I mean it was it was wonderful. I, I in the sense that you know it was a real challenge. I have a wonderful editor. My agent was very helpful in you know in the early goings of the project. The project, and yeah, I had to write it with Zoom school going on, so that was hard. Oh. I got the uh, the contract like right at the stage. I was meeting editors when I was at the stage. Like, should we be shaking hands? Oh, ha ha ha! It was like before COVID, we really knew what was going on. And then I had to write the whole book through all that madness. But I did my best, and uh, I think any any first book, especially the sub implied subtitle, is like I did my best. <laughs> uh, here it is. Here it is. We should do that. We all first time authors, we should make that like a shared hashtag, you know, like instead of saying debut author, you know, it would just be like a secret code, you know? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That's really funny. Did you know when you started it that it would be sort of partially your own journey mixed in? Like, did you think it would be more Met or did you think it would be more Tom or was the balance? Is that what you had in mind all along? Yeah. So I, maybe about like seven years into the job or something like that, I had the idea to write a book. And at first I thought that it was going to be like a guide, like a guard's guide to the Met. Mm -hmm. And I thought it would just be Met and it would be, you know, bopping from object to object, wing to wing or whatever. But then I, I started writing that and it didn't really have any sort of center to it. Didn't really, wasn't coherent at all. And I realized that the thing that people don't write about art very often is the subjective experience of being around this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, to write about the subjective experience, I got to write about me. So this has got to be a story. And I had that idea of making it a memoir and kind of having the central figure of the guard. But that balance of you know, museum and family stuff and all of that, both my agent and editor are helpful with because they are helpful with it's a hard balance to get of course because you don't want i mean the the book is 85% museum but you want it colored by the rest of the stuff but not sort of dragged down by it and yeah i think we just i just i kept writing you just keep writing 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 <laughs> until it feels until it feels right until it feels like it has the right shape and tone if you had to pick another museum or cultural institution to guard what would it be Oh, that's a good, that's a very good, I haven't asked that. That's a very good question. Um, I think I would, tr- I would like to do something in an entirely different culture. You know, wouldn't that be cool? Like the, the Museum of Anthropology in uh, Mexico City is just incredible. So I'm going to choose that. That museum bowled me over. 
But I'm sure there are lots of museums that I've never visited before, too. And then I'd like to change it up and do Natural History Museum. That'd be cool. Mm, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I I, I like to wander. So we'll see. <laughs> I love that. Do you take your kids now back and show them around? And oh, yeah, them. I did the other day. My my son was like, was he's nine. And he was like, Saying so other people could overhear in the bookstore, like, oh, my dad wrote this book. <laughs> they, they had me sign the copies in the bookstore, and he thought that was so cool. But no, I love I, I love taking just one kid to a museum. Um, I find when I take my two kids that I don't know, they're just sort of like, I don't know what the energy off of each other. They're just worried about trying to rush from place to place. But if I bring just one kid and it's one kid and me, then they they really slow down and we can just let them let them lead me and and figure out what they're interested in. I have to say I once brought I have my I have four kids but my older kids are twins and they're almost 16 but the son of that pair was always like running somewhere had so much energy now he plays three sports he has like an outlet for it you know but nice. back then he did not so I took the two of them to the met when they were probably 5 and I was like this is great they could just like run around here look how big it is. <laughs> So I took them to the Met one rainy day and every place that they ran, a guard was like, please, no running, please stop <laughs> running. And I was like, okay, we're not going to come back here for this purpose yes, ever again. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. No, that's true. It's a little like the Natural History Museum is sort of kid-proofed, yeah, the Met, yeah. not so kid-proofed. Yeah. Um, so you do have to. And of course, uh, one thing I say in the book is that you get these poor parents who are out of towners. And they come up to you and they're with their kids and they come up to you and they're like, are there dinosaurs here? Are there, <laughs> are there like, like an interactive laser display or is there like, uh, and you're like, no, I'm sorry. This is the art museum. Like they don't realize <laughs> that, that the Met isn't like the New York museum, you know? Yeah. Um, but I tell them, you know, Hey, we've got mummies and we've got arms and armor and you should, we, we can still show your kids a good time. <laughs> That's true. Yes. We did end up spending quite quite a lot of time at the Museum of Natural History, but um, good, good, good. a safer place probably yeah, for that particular safer. kid. Uh, yeah. That's for sure. Uh, what types of books do you like to read? Oh, I like to read all kinds of books. I like to read old books. I, it's funny when I was researching um, art history books for, you know, for the, the, the book that I'm writing, I oftentimes like some book written by a German in the twenties about uh, Greek art is so fascinating to me because they sort of write in this kind of big way. They take big swings. They're they're like really, um, I don't know, they have grand theses about the art. I think books that are written about art these days are oftentimes very academic. So they're very sort of careful and they're very heavily footnoted and things like that. But let's see, I just read one of Fiona Davis's book, her one about uh, about the Frick. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've It's I'm uh, just starting a Dickens novel or rereading David Copperfield because I'm going to London. Uh, the book's coming out in in uh, the UK next month. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> My kids, again, I don't know why I keep talking about them today, but you know how like kids now, they say like, you know, frick is sort of like a stand-in word for like a... <laughs> so literally my son, who my who's eight, he was like, is it true there's really a museum called Frick? <laughs> And you gotta goes, go. That sounds like a hoot. Yeah. I know I thought it was so funny, but yeah, that's uh, two cents on art. Would you ever write another book? Like, are you excited to? Would you? And what would it be about? You have any idea? 
Good question. I mean, uh, yes, I, I think I will write another book. I would say that I think to the extent that this book succeeds, it's because it marinated quite a while. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I'm going to rush to write that next book. Um, I do feel like I might have another art book in me and, and a somewhat different vein, but I, I need to explore exactly what that is. And I also have a sort of long-term creative project that I want to chew on for a long while that would be totally different and would be um, fiction. But short answer, yes. Long answer, I I don't know exactly what my next chapter will be. We'll see how this book continues to do. We'll see what doors open. Amazing. Wow. Well, congratulations. It's really beautiful and unique, the intersection of family and, and sort of shared, the shared fortunes of the art world is great and immersive and I feel like we've all like kind of gone on this journey with you at the end and, and come back to baseline, if you will, back ready to live instead of watch. So good. I I always make the joke, you know, when you go to the museum, carry something out with you, but not literally. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Carrying stuff out with me for sure. (laughs) All right. Well, it was really nice to meet you. Thanks. so much. It was nice to meet you. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. My pleasure. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 